This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Astronomy Cast, episode 246 from Monday, January 2nd, 2012. What if something was different? Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser? Doing really well. So once again, we are recording this episode of Astronomy Cast as a live Google Plus Hangout on Air, which means that if you're a big fan of Astronomy Cast, you can actually watch us live as we record the show and go through all kinds of audio hassles and headaches and yeah. But uh, but it's pretty cool. Uh, and so we're still figuring out all the bugs. And if you want to check it out, you can you can join us live. The easiest way to do that is to circle uh, me or Pamela on Google+, and then you'll see announcements of when we're about to record. And as we sort of settle out the technology, we're going to do this more often and, and, and do it at a more regular schedule. Um, in fact, the easiest way to find us, or me anyway, is I've actually redirected FraserCane.com to my Google Plus page. So it's actually wow. Actually easy to find. Yeah, I know. That's brave, right? Yeah. Uh, so, cool. All right. Any more announcements? No, we're good. Let's just rock. Okay. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Eighth Light Inc. Eighth Light is an agile software development company. They craft beautiful applications that are durable and reliable. Eighth Light provides disciplined software leadership on demand and shares its expertise to make your project better. For more information, visit them online at www.eighthlight.com. Just remember, that's www.thedigit8thlight.com. Drop them a note. Eighth Light. Software is their craft. So the number of moons, the age of the sun, and our placement in the Milky Way all had an impact on the formation of the Earth and the evolution of life on our planet. But what if things were different? What would be the implications? So the, the goal of this show, and this was uh, sort of suggested by a, a listener, was what, what would life be like or the Earth be like if some aspect, some physical aspect of the universe was different? If we had a different number of moons around the Earth, if we had a different structure of the galaxy, if we were located in a different place, if we didn't have some of the giant planets, different metallicity of the star, and just what would be the implications, you know, what do astronomers think would be the, would be the outcome? So, Pamela, let's start with sort of the big picture, and then we'll sort of zoom in as we as we go. Okay. So, uh, you know, we know that our Milky Way is located in a galaxy cluster. What, we're in the Virgo supercluster in the local group? We're in the local group on the verges of the supercluster. We're not really in the supercluster. We will be, but we're not there yet. Right. But when we look out into the universe with the Hubble Space Telescope and things like that, we see regions with tons of galaxies clustered tightly together yeah. and other regions where the galaxies are more, more far flung apart than than what we have here um some have so so i guess just like galaxy density let's say that we ended up in one of those situations how would things be different well, we probably wouldn't have ongoing star formation. One of the things that I actually studied as part of my doctoral dissertation is 
how the lives of galaxies change as they go from low-density environments to high-density environments over the course of the history of the universe. And what we find is in the biggest clusters out there, the Abel clusters that look so beautiful with all their gravitational lensing and Hubble pictures, these clusters don't have any star formation. What's happened is over time, as the galaxies have swept one past the other, the gravity of them tearing at each other has sucked all the dust out into the spaces between the galaxies. Without dust, there's no star formation. So in a large cluster, much larger than the one we live in, with all these interactions over the billions of years of our universe, you crush star formation. So we'd be living in a dead system, no Orion Nebula to look at, no Pleiades to look at. The Hyades might not even have had a chance to form. It's much more depressing. Right, and so it would less the chance, like the stars would have been sort of young and hot and then all have burnt out or be burning out right now and you just wouldn't have the yeah. same same place. But on the on the flip side, what if you had the galaxies too far flung apart? Well, in that case, it would simply be a boring sky. There's all these isolated galaxies in the places that we look trying to find nothings. There's a researcher, uh, Martha Hazen, who's looked in these giant voids trying to find someplace empty, and what she finds is isolated spiral galaxies. If you let a galaxy form, leave the sucker alone. More, most of the time, it's going to end up being this nice, beautiful spiral galaxy, lots of star formation, not too dif different from the place we live. But is there a situation? It's the galaxy collisions that help, you know, some aspect causing more star formation and helping with the amount of metals in the stars and things like that. I mean, do you need a certain amount of galaxy collision or is none okay? No. Well, once, once you build the galaxy, I mean, we, we think that large galaxies like our own form out of little tiny puffs of galaxy that build up over time to form the giant galaxies. But once you get to the giant galaxy stage, any galaxy interactions that you have are either going to be minor things like we keep eating dwarf galaxies. It's what the Milky Way does. Yeah. Or they're going to be giant star formation crushing events that initially trigger massive star formation. I mean, that's the irony in this. You get two galaxies that interact just right. You get this massive burst of star formation. But then after that, nothing, no more stars. And without new star formation, there's no pretty nebula to look at. But worse than that, there's no new planetary systems forming. If you have this happen too early in a galaxy's life, that means that high metallicity stars haven't had a chance to form. You may not end up with nice, interesting planetary systems. This massive burst of star formation is going to create everything. Right. But there'll be nothing coming after that. So then let's let's roll back the the age of the universe a bit. Like what if, you know, events conspired and the sun formed, you know, much earlier or our galaxy's evolution was much earlier in after the Big Bang, like say almost right away. Like I'm not sure how old a star could be or how young a star could be after the formation of the of the universe 
what if we were as close as possible to the form, you know, the formation of the universe early on? Well, if our sun had been one of that zeroth generation of stars, which formed pretty much 400,000 years after the Big Bang, it would have been giant. It would have been a runaway star because it wouldn't have had any metals to help it cool off. That's one of those strange things in star formation. Right. So that's one of those we wouldn't be here situations, right? Right. Yeah. We would have. Well, and there wouldn't have been any of the stuff to make planets. Initially, it was hydrogen, helium, trace amounts of lithium and beryllium. None of the silicon we need to make rock, none of the iron we need in our blood, none of the metals at all existed initially. So that first generation of stars, if we'd been one of the first generation of stars, no planets would have formed and the sun would have been this giant short-lived thing. Yeah. So that's just different. Right. And then if, you know, on the flip side, if we were trillions of years into the future yeah you know where the expansion of the, of the universe was quite large i mean i know it would have implications for astronomy in that we wouldn't see other galaxies and you know might not even know that there was an expansion of the universe at all but would it have any impact you know will stars still be forming a trillion no. years down the road no no really wow yeah i mean that that's the thing to think about is our universe is slowly using up all of the material or spreading it out to the point that it's spread out so much that it can't condense down into new stars there, there's a few exceptions there's repositories of gas that's fairly high density and the centers of galaxy clusters that's not going to change but really hot gas doesn't collapse into stars either so we're going to reach this point where all of the gas that's cold enough to form stars is spread out so much it can't collapse all the gas that is dense enough to form stars is too hot to collapse down to form stars so there's this future of no more star formation so we really are at the right place so i guess we could have a more loosely organized galaxy cluster, but we really are at the right time for for the yeah, sun. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's 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 focus in on the Milky Way then. So, I mean, right now we are located kind of closer to the outer edge of the of the Milky Way, nice and far away from the turbulent and crazy galactic core. But what if right. we were located much closer to the core? Well, we we would have still formed. We could have still formed with planets, but. The probability that we wouldn't have had the outer parts of our solar system constantly harassed by stars passing nearby, yeah, that probability says we would have been harassed by other stars. And one of the things that astronomers think is that some of the past epochs of heavy bombardment, where all of a sudden all the random rocks, ice, stuff from the outer solar system came plunging in, creating craters in the inner solar system. There's thoughts that some of that might have been triggered by a nearby star passing. Now, if we're living in an extremely dense environment, the probability that there's going to be these chance encounters with a star disrupting the Oort cloud, disrupting perhaps even the Kuiper belt, starts to go up. There's even the possibility that we'll pass so close that we don't worry about collisions. The probability of a collision is very low. But passing close enough that Jupiter gets stolen, that's yeah. <laughs> that could happen. And three-body encounters start flinging things in all directions. Right. So we've got this situation where a lot of the, of the stars passing beside each other are just wrecking the structure of the solar system. And so... 
Yeah. You know, do, do astronomers think that if we, you know, once we can better map the, the star systems that are closer into the core, they're going to have sort of stolen planets, the planets will have been flung around and well, you can't actually tell in a lot of cases if a star if a star has stolen right, its right. planets. But but what we do think is that there's probably a habitable zone, not just around stars, but around galaxies as well. And it's that region within the galaxy where the probability of two star systems encountering one another is sufficiently low that you don't have to worry about life getting disrupted by an overly close hot neighbor coming through. Right. So you've got like enough time of not getting your solar system wrecked that that life can form and things can be stable. So then what about on the flip side, right? What if you're further out in the galaxy? What if we ended up forming, you know, right at the very rim of the galaxy? But it doesn't, wouldn't really have any implication. What about sort of like amounts of, of like metals or radiation? So, so the thing you do have to worry about is if you're still in the disk of the galaxy, most of the disk of the galaxy still has metals in it. But as you start to get out into the halo of the galaxy, this is the spheroid of globular clusters and random stars that just sort of is still part of our galaxy, but isn't part of the pretty disk we think of. Those stars are generally so metal poor that they can't form planets. So once you get to these older areas, and that's the thing too, is these are planets, not planets, these are stars that formed much further back in the history. In fact, for a long time, globular clusters were thought to have been some of the very first objects that formed in the universe. These systems, they don't have the metals you need to have planetary systems. And so far, we haven't found any planets in globular clusters. Now, you mentioned globular clusters. That would be crazy. What I mean, we formed in a nebula, kind of like the Orion Nebula or the yeah. you know, Pleiades or the Hyades. But what if we formed in a globular cluster? What would that? Because then the stars would be still around us, right? Right. And, and there's some fabulous art, I believe, by the artist Loretta Cook, who sat down and then figured out all of the science behind what it would look like. And literally, if you have a thin atmosphere, so you don't have to worry about scattering of light that creates an opaque blue atmosphere like we have, if, you, if you're sitting on an atmosphere-free moon, for instance, right. as you look about, it's stars everywhere. And it's, it's not just stars little points it's you can resolve the discs you can go oh wow there's a massive solar flare on that thing that's half a light year away there's right so you'd have you can start to receive details like venus brightness like moon brightness somewhere between the two yeah okay all right so brighter than venus though yeah wow yeah 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 and you'd have and depending on the age of the cluster you'd have variations of brightness of stars and as the cluster was older you'd have just a lot more Smaller, well, dimmer it would stars, be red right? in general. Yeah. So, so imagine Betelgeuse everywhere you look. Right, and but you know we typically don't see those. We see the red giants. We don't typically see the the red dwarfs as easily, just because they're right. dimmer, and so we don't see them very far away. But if they're packed in a globular cluster, they'd be all over the place. Um, okay, so so then let's talk about the solar system itself. So, what if, uh, for example, I mean we have this sort of nice series of planets and then we have some gas giants and then we have this you know the icy area around that so what if you know some of those things were different like for example what if we didn't have um some of the gas giants 
Well, the gas giants are actually kind of useful because they're vacuum cleaners gravitationally. We, we used to think that things hitting Jupiter was probably a once in 500 year kind of event, <laughs> but we're, <laughs> we're now yeah. learning. Yeah, yeah we're, we're now learning. If you look at Jupiter long enough, any given year, you're going to see it get hit by something. Like we've had like two major impacts in the last, what, 20 years? Seven? I, I think, Schumer. aren't we up to three now? Yeah, but anyway, two two big ones for sure that, you know, Schumacher-Levy 9, yeah. and then there was another one just a couple of years ago that, right. that, you know, smashed into Jupiter. So yeah, no, this is happening a lot. And, and so you have Jupiter eating things, you look at... All the outer planets have what were probably once upon a time Kuiper Belt objects or comet cores now as their moons. Gas giants are vacuum cleaners. They protect us from some of the large rocks that might otherwise come into the inner solar system. And by protecting us by eating things, that means there's a lower probability that we're going to get hit by things. So it's thought that perhaps you need these giants out there vacuuming up as many rocks as they can to lower the probabilities low enough that life has a chance to evolve. But in our solar system, Jupiter is sort of the size that it is and, you know, Saturn and Uranus and Neptune. But yeah. but, but now, at this point now with the thousands of planetary systems that yeah. have been discovered thanks to Kepler, you know, we're seeing every variation. So there, there, there will right. be, you know, worlds with far more gravity, far more mass. I know they don't get a lot bigger yeah. than Jupiter, but they would have a lot more mass than Jupiter. So, you know, if we had some of those, would that have a sort of an implication? Well, so here you have to worry, where's the trade-off? When our planet first formed, it got completely blasted dry by an early hot sun. And so that dry Earth got the oceans we now enjoy from comets hitting the early planet and re-giving us back our volatiles. Now, if you had too heavy an object or too many heavy objects protecting us, then maybe we wouldn't have gotten enough water. Mm. Um, but that's really one for the planetary modelers to play with. But there is this trade-off where you don't want to get hit too much, but you do need to get hit some to get your volatiles back. For the right period of time before, yeah. you know, to give life a, a chance to form. And then what about the right. rocky planets? I mean, we have the four rocky planets that we have. I mean, would it, yeah. would it have an impact if we had more or less? A boring skies. I mean, that that's the impact of, of things that, that wouldn't cause negativeness is they just make the universe more boring. Right. But if we end up with, say, a Mars-sized object in the same uh, orbit as the Earth, as we've seen, you know, that has its implications. Yeah. Right. Mars the moon, right? <laughs> so, yeah. No, it's... it's <laughs> Once the universe is, once the solar system is stable, what the rocky planets look like don't matter. Having extras that hit you, that matters. Right, right. So it's really all about, again, it's sort of back to that clearing out the uh, the solar system. Yeah. Okay, well now let's take a look at our sun. So we talked okay. a bit about sort of if our sun formed at different periods of the universe, if it formed early on in the universe or, or late on. But what about just the age of the sun? I mean, the age of the sun right now is 4.6 billion years. What right. if, you know, for some, you know, I mean, but we've had life on Earth for almost the entire period. So what if the sun was was younger right now? Well, the younger sun was hotter. And our planet actually had a point when its temperatures were hotter due to that hotter sun. 
But at, at the same time, the composition of our atmosphere was different early on. So it, it's hard to figure out how to put all of these different variables together. We had hotter sun, we had different atmosphere, and we had a planet that was quite honestly not acceptable to us because it was so methane-rich. Uh, it wasn't until the sun got a little bit older and a little bit cooler that we had an oxygen-based atmosphere to enjoy. So, I mean, that took billions of years to get going, right? A couple of them. Mm -hmm. not, mm -hmm. not a lot. It's really amazing how quickly our planet settled down to start yeah. getting amoebae right. or amoebas. But again, let's, you know, let's run the clock forward. What if we were you know, five, six, seven billion years and the sun was older? So when the sun gets older, we're kind of in trouble here on the planet Earth. Our sun is going to switch how it produces energy in its core. And when it does this, it's going to bloat itself out and undergo extreme amounts of mass loss. And the combination of getting larger, getting brighter, it's going to get cooler as well. But you still move that surface right against the surface of the planet. And it doesn't matter if it's a little bit cooler. Um, we're going to get blasted. And essentially imagine broiling the surface of the planet and blasting it with a wind that is high energy enough to remove the Earth's atmosphere and you're looking at our future. Right. But we've talked about this in earlier podcasts that the sun is actually heating up right now. Right. You know, not global warming heating up, but but heating up over the next 500 million to even a billion years. Yeah. It's going to make temperatures on earth a lot hotter than they are today and this is just the process yeah. of the sun converting hydrogen to helium and sort of changing its energy output so yeah, the so actually i mean that one that number is pretty tight i mean we're within a few hundred million years for large life forms to be able to live yeah the the big thing we have to worry about is as the earth's temperature goes up it's going to cause the oceans to evaporate, which is going to put more water vapor in the atmosphere, which is going to cause the planet to heat up, which is eventually going to cause a runaway greenhouse effect, which will evaporate our oceans completely. No surface water. It's a lot harder to live. Yeah. Well, and then I think one of the, the ones that's most interesting to people is the moon. Yes. Right? I mean, we have one moon. And we've, we've mentioned this again a lot, that, that the moon is kind of important. So why is the moon important? Well, <laughs> gravitationally, it stabilizes our planet. If if you've ever watched a top when you set it spinning, its little top happily processes around and around and around. And the amount that a planet does the same thing varies from world to world. And here on Earth, our precession is at least somewhat stabilized by having the moon there. So for us, the moon is a way of keeping that spinning top somewhat upright. Now, the other thing that the moon does is just like Jupiter, it helps sweep things up. Things hit it. We look at it and we see the poor thing has been completely obliterated with craters. Every part of its surface has been hit by something at some point in the past. This is what creates the regolith that we see. Now, the moon also has the effects of churning up the tides. So, when you see the ocean moving, that's because we have a moon. And it's thought without those tides, life might not have been able to evolve the way it did. Now, there's still argument over whether life started in water, it started in volcanic springs, it started in dirt. We're not sure where life started. Could have started all of the above. That's fine, too. 
But no matter how it happened, we know that biological functions are at least in some part tied to the lunar cycle. So there's a good chance that life would not be the way it is without our moon there. So then what if we had more moons? That would depend on their spacing, their sizes. More moons, if, if you have the moon we have now, and then you've got a little one close Another in. One. Oh, okay, sure. So yeah. imagine a little one close in. We call that the International Space Station. Right. <laughs> right, but the International Space, if we didn't keep boosting it up, it would crash. That's true. And, right. and so, so you do a little have, further than that. So, so you do have to worry about, and this is actually a problem Mars has in its future. Mm-hmm. It's going to get bombarded with one of its moons in the future. So we'd want to have moons far enough out that they, they're tidal effects cause them to keep going further out rather than to come closer in, which would just be a bad thing. But as long as they're small enough to not wreck gravitational havoc on our planet, then they simply serve as a protector that helps eat things headed our way. But you would get weird tides, right? It it depends on the size. You can imagine if we had a much smaller moon, in addition to the one we have now, it'd be sufficiently small that the tides that it rose up, assuming it's further away, um, would be so minor that they'd be washed out in the noise of the tides that are there. It's sort of like if you're at a rock concert, your phone ringing, you might notice, but barely. Right. But I mean, I know that we get you know things lining up. When we get the, yeah. the moon and the sun lining up, you get, you get much bigger tides. Right. And you would see things like that, but right. that doesn't mean it would affect up. life. Oh, what if we had two stars? So what oh. if we were in a binary system, right? I forgot to ask that. I didn't want to ask that. <laughs> so, so we've actually seen solar systems like this. There's, there's lots of them out there. Yeah, this was thought to be impossible, right? And oh, now, yeah. well, it, not it, so impossible. We have this one extremely endearing old professor who keeps wandering through, and he's like, what about planets with more than one sun? And we're like, they exist. And he's like, no. It, he's very cute and very, very old. So anyways, 61 Sig B, it's one of them. It's, it's, we see things like this. There, there's this st- the star Taubu A that has planets and its companion Taubu B. Don't say that one too fast with elementary school audiences. All of these systems generally have widely separated stars. And the beauty of these widely separated stars is you end up with all the planets gathered around one of the stars and the other one just sort of hangs out shining beautifully in the distance. So it all depends on the distance. Yeah. And if they're close, things won't work out. If it's really far away, then things will work a lot better. If if they're close, then the planets start to experience what's called a three-body problem. And those... Fling things, again. So anytime you're getting gravitationally interacting with three different objects, flinging occurs. So you need two things close together that you can treat as one thing and then something else further away. I think that's the whole theme of this whole episode, when you think about it, (laughs) is it's really about three-body interactions. Yeah, that's entirely true. You know, that that if it's, you know, too much gas, too many galaxies, too many moons, too many planets, too many stars, then you get these three-body interactions that that wreak havoc. One one last thing that I wanted to bring up was was the mass of the Earth, right? I mean, the mass of the Earth that we have is... Kind of awesome. Kind of awesome. Well, sure, yeah. But, I mean, is it... Would things be different if the if the Earth had double the mass, half the mass? So as as you adjust the amount of mass we have, assuming that the density doesn't change, 
as you adjust the mass that we have, you run into things like, well, if we get small, we don't have enough mass to hold on to our atmosphere. Right. Like, like Mars. Like Mars. Right. Now, if we get big, we kind of end up with too much atmosphere. So if you can imagine having a much thicker atmosphere, life's still possible, but you're going to develop entirely differently. And as you increase the pressure more and more, you can imagine needing to have exoskeletons to protect yourself. Um, it starts to be much more like the situation that life experiences at the bottom of the ocean, where life always finds a way, given that it has the proper stuff, but it takes on a very different shape. Right. So I think in that situation, I'd almost prefer to have more gravity. Yes. More gravity is good. Less gravity is less atmosphere, which is bad. Which is bad. Cool. All right. Um, and while this episode was running, I was looking through some some questions from, from people. So it's kind of cool. Um, cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Pamela. And uh, and thanks to everybody who watched this live episode of Astronomy Cast. Your, your thoughts and ideas are very helpful. So I stole them all. Thank you for joining us. And stay tuned. More of these are to come. And more, more good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Pamela. We'll talk to you next week. My pleasure. Thanks, Fraser. This has been Astronomy Cast, a weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos. Show notes and transcripts for every episode are available on our website. Check it out at astronomycast.com. You can send us any comments, questions, or feedback to info at astronomycast.com. We read every email. The show is a nonprofit educational resource provided by Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. We're supported through the kind donations of listeners like you. If you enjoy Astronomy Cast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax deductible for U.S. taxpayers. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend it to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Music is provided by Travis Searle. The show was edited by Preston Gibson. Astronomy Cast is produced at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville with generous support from Universe Today.